Couldn't have done it better myself. <laughs> Not even close. Wonderful job. And uh, I do love the message of the song she was just playing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We'll come back to that at the very end of the message. So uh, remember that, and uh, we'll come back to that. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to start this morning. Mark chapter 10. And if you would take your Bible and turn over there, and you're, if you're physically able to stand, uh, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter number 10. And uh, we're going to read verses 35 through verse 45, so a little bit lengthy of a passage here. Mark 10, 35 through 45. The Bible says in verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master... We would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, Oh, we can. Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, or baptized withal, shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, we thank you for the service thus far. We thank you for the beautiful music and the opportunity to sing praises unto you. Lord, today as we turn our attention to your word, I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us today. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to our hearts and that you would change us from the inside out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, our theme, as we've mentioned many, many times, uh, for 2021 here at Cornerstone Baptist Church is looking unto Jesus. And the reason I keep saying that is to keep that in our minds as we go through this year. When well, we've been trying this year to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ... We are called in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18 to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, in, said his life's main goal was to know him, talking about Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. The song we sang during our service a few minutes ago, more about Jesus, would I know? More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. 
So as time goes on, we are to know more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ as time goes on. And as I thought about this year so far, in a sense, we have been zooming into the detail of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we have gone through this year. We started, if you recall, for those who are here, with a wide-angle shot uh, of the Lord Jesus as we uh, made our way through a brief four-week overview series on Christology. As we looked at his person, who Jesus is, uh, we looked at his purpose, why he came, we looked at his passion, what he did for us on the cross of Calvary, and then we also looked at his power, the fact that he rose again gloriously and miraculously over death, hell, and the grave. And then after that little brief series, we zoomed in a little bit more as we looked at who he said he is in a seven-week series through the I Am statements of Jesus Christ in the book of John. And we uh, finished that last Sunday with the very powerful words that Jesus said in John chapter 11 on Resurrection Sunday as he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, now today we're going to zoom in even further as we start our series through the life of Christ as recorded in the Gospel of Mark. It's going to be a wonderful journey and I, I do hope that each and every one of you will plan to be faithful to be here in our quest to learn more about uh, the serving Savior. Now, before we really dive into the book of Mark, I wanted to take this first Sunday to help, under, help us understand a little bit more about this book of the Bible. So before we get into the content of this book, we're going to first get the context of this book. And so today, if you were expecting to start in Mark chapter 1, I hate to disappoint you, but we're not going to do that today. Got to come back next Sunday. So this is my little advertisement for next Sunday. Uh, but today is going to be more of an aerial view of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I know my son will like that aerial view of that uh, because he likes to have aerial views of a lot of things as he is learning to fly. But uh, this is going to be more of a teaching type of a message uh, so you'll actually need to listen on purpose today. So you'll have to put your thinking caps on and, and turn on the, okay, I actually need to listen today. He's not going to do a bunch of crazy, uh, silly illustrations. So you're going to have to listen on purpose. But I believe that you're going to learn something and that uh, you're going to be encouraged still and challenged in your faith as well. So let's go ahead and jump in and talk about the book of Mark. First of all, let's look at the attributes of this book. The attributes of the book. Now, one question that some have asked, and it's a valid question, is why are there four gospel accounts? We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, we have two of our children named after them. We have a Luke and a Mark. We did not, we did not have a Matthew. We did not have a John, but my last name is Johnson, so that kind of counts. Uh, but uh, why are there four gospel accounts in the, in the Word of God? Well, wasn't one enough? Well, God has given us four different perspectives, four different vantage points on the life of Christ. And each one brings out different points and highlights different aspects of the life of Christ. And let's learn about what Mark is all about. First of all, uh, here's, a, here's an interesting fact about the Gospel of Mark. It is the shortest of the Gospel accounts. As I did a little research, and I, and I knew it was the shortest, but... In, in learning how many verses are in each of these Gospels, I was 
pretty, pretty shocked at how short it is compared to the others. Okay, we have, first of all, we have Matthew with 1,071 verses. Okay, we're going to skip Mark for a moment and go right to Luke. Luke has 1,151 verses. And then John is a little shorter than those two with 879 verses. But here we go with Mark, only 678 verses. So uh, 200 verses less than even John. And uh, almost half of, just a little over half of Luke. So Mark was a little less wordy. He was a little less long-winded. And uh, you wish my name was Mark right now, right? <laughs> wish we, your name could be Mark. Uh, not so long-winded. Uh, Eric, if Eric wrote the gospel, uh, if there was a fifth gospel and it was Eric, it would have been uh, 4,000 verses, I'm sure, at least. Well, I remember when I was a, when I was a little boy... Uh, I was in uh, what was called Royal Rangers. It was a Christian Boy Scouts. It wasn't in our circle of churches, but it was something that I was involved in. And, and uh, I was a buckaroo trying to become a pioneer. And in order to do that, um, I had to accomplish different things in this workbook. One of the things I had to do was memorize John 3, 16, 17, and 18. I also had to memorize the 23rd Psalm. But I also had to read one of the four Gospels. Well, I wasn't a big fan of reading back in those days. And so I chose the shortest of the Gospels. Um, I didn't pick the first one. I picked the shortest of them. So, so the, the book of Mark was the very first book of the Bible that I personally read all the way through. And so the book of Mark has a special place in my heart. Yes, because it's the shortest, but because it was also the first one that I ever read all the way through. But even though the Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the Gospel accounts, it's not short on details, and it and, uh, actually includes many exciting details that are not found in the other Gospel accounts. One such example is the account of the healing of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter number 5. Uh, Mark gives some interesting details that the other Gospels totally ignore. And so just because it's short doesn't mean that Mark's not detailed. In fact, there are a lot of details in the Gospel of Mark that aren't elsewhere. The Gospel of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed account of the life of Christ. The very word straightway uh, is found 38 times in the Bible. And straightway, half of them occur in the book of Mark. The word straightway means immediately. As soon as, and of course, straightway as well. Um, so this book is, is moving quick through the life of Christ, and, uh, and Mark is just kind of keeping things moving, uh, which I think makes for uh, a good study of the life of Christ. The other ones are great too. We did a lot of study in the book of John in this last seven-week series, as John recorded the seven I am statements of Christ. But here, Mark really is an action-packed uh, survey of the life of Christ, and I'm excited to get started with it, but I, I thought it would be good to have one Sunday where we just kind of explain what, what the Gospel of Mark is all about. Uh, not only is it the shortest of the Gospel accounts, but it was the first of the Gospel accounts written. It was the first of the Gospel accounts written. Um, out of the four, it was the first, and then right on the heels of Mark... The Gospel of Matthew was second. 
Now, I realize that in the order in your Bible, you have Matthew first, then Mark. But in the order in which it was written, Mark was first, then Matthew was next, and then Luke was soon after Matthew. And then about 30 years pass, and then we have the Gospel of John. Now, uh, let's see here. Uh, Matthew actually and Luke both used the Gospel of Mark as uh, a great resource, as a template, so to speak, and they included a lot of what was in Mark in their Gospel accounts as well. So as you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke, you're going to see a lot of identical stuff and some things that are very much the same. It's because those two Gospel writers used the Gospel of Mark as a tremendous resource. And so they did that. Um, It was the first of the gospel accounts written. And thirdly, it was written to the Romans. The gospel of Mark was written to the Romans. And each of the different gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them were written to different audiences. Uh, Matthew was written to the Jews, to the religious man. Uh, Luke was written to the Greeks. John was written to the church, but ultimately to the world. And Mark was written for the Romans and to the Romans. Uh, J. Vernon McGee said this about the Gospel of Mark. He said, Mark was written specifically for the Roman, and it was suited for the Roman times. It was written for the strong man. The Romans ruled the world for a millennium, and the Gospel of Mark was written for such people. He said the Romans actually had subjugated the world. They had brought peace and justice. They brought good roads. If only they could do some here and more and fix that uh, railroad crossing that's still closed after they said they would do that in like three days, and it's still closed. Anyway, that's not in my notes, and I shouldn't have said that. But the Romans had actually subjugated the world. They had brought peace and justice, good roads, law and order, protection, but it was a forced peace. And so that was the era in which and the time in which uh, the, the Gospel of Mark was written, and it was written with that in mind. Another commentator pointed out that one of the reasons Mark, have, Mark may have written this book was to encourage Christians there in Rome and around the world who daily face the threat of imprisonment and death because of their faith. And to encourage them that, hey, what your, what your, your, your faith is worth fighting for. Your faith is real. And so I'm writing this gospel account so that it'll encourage you to stay faithful in the Lord. So it was written to the Romans. Uh, fourthly here, the gospel of Mark, it showed Jesus as the servant of God. The gospel of Mark highlights the fact that Jesus is the servant of God. Matthew, uh, the main emphasis there was showing Jesus as the king, the king of the Jews, the Messiah. Luke showed Jesus as the son of man, and uh, really his humanity here. And then John showed Jesus as the son of God. John focused on showing Jesus and his deity. But Mark here uh, shows Jesus as the servant of God. Uh, One interesting aspect of the the different gospel accounts, uh, two of them list the genealogy of Jesus. How many know, who who knows which books show the genealogy of Jesus? 
Matthew and Luke, and I heard a couple people say it up here too. Uh, Matthew and Luke both list the genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number one and Luke chapter number three. John doesn't, and neither does Mark. Why not? Well, there's no genealogy in the book of John because, remember, John's trying to display Jesus as God and uh, to point to the fact that he is the Son of God. And uh, there's no genealogy there because God has no genealogy, does he? And there's no genealogy in the book of Mark. Why not? Well, because a servant doesn't need a genealogy. It doesn't really matter where he came from. He's just a servant. And so Mark doesn't give where he came from. He just kind of immediately launches in to the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And so here Mark showed Jesus as the servant of God. Fifthly, here we see this book focused on the works of Christ. Matthew emphasized the sermons of Christ. Luke dwelt on the parables of Christ. John pointed to the doctrine of Christ, but Mark here is focused on the works of Christ, his miracles, his deeds, uh, the things that he did. Um, and if you look in the book of Mark, there's a lot of words in red, that's for sure. But the, the ultimate aspect of Mark is trying to point to the fact that he is a strong servant who did great things. So it focused on the works of Christ. And so as we're going to go through this book, we're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle that Jesus did uh, to show the Romans who were so into power that, uh, that Jesus has that power. So they're focused on the works of Christ. And then, uh, sixthly here, let's look at the key verse in the book of Mark. And that is found in the text that we read at the very beginning of the ser- the, this message. Uh, Mark 10.45. The Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And this is... This is why our series is called The Serving Savior, because this is why he came. Uh, one of the main reasons why he was here is because he, is, he came to minister. Now, again, if anyone ever deserved to be ministered unto, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not why he came. He didn't come to have everybody wait hands and knees on him and say, Oh, let me help you with this, Jesus. Let me do all. No, no, Jesus came to serve. That's why he's here. This verse, by the way, Mark 10, 45, also acts as a very simple outline to the book. From chapters 1 through 10, we read an account of how Jesus ministered. So chapters 1 through 10 is is, uh, his ministry and how he came to minister. And then chapters 11 through 16 is the record of how he gave his life as a ransom for many. So this little verse here gives us a little bit of an outline, a very simple, basic outline to the book of Mark. H.A. Ironside summed up the gospel of Mark very well when he said this, Mark's supreme object was to show the Gentile world the active love of God in Jesus the Christ, serving needing men, seeking after sinners, and saving all who trusted him. Now, this wasn't the first book of the New Testament written. It was, uh, in some of my study, uh, most people put it as the third book of the Bible. Uh, Galatians, I think, was first, then James, and then we have 
the Gospel of Mark. So this was the first gospel record that those New Testament Christians had that encouraged them in their faith. And I hope that it will encourage us in our faith as we go through it in the next uh, several, several weeks. So we see the attributes of the book, but then secondly, let's look at the author of the book. The author of the book. As with every book of the Bible, ultimately it was the Lord who oversaw and inspired every written word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, God used 40 different authors from different backgrounds and different strengths and weaknesses and personalities to write the pages of the Bible. Um, And uh, Mark was uh, a man with a unique personality, with a unique strengths, and with a unique background. And uh, this morning I wanted to take a a few minutes and uh, learn a little more about this man named Mark who, by the way, was also referred to as John Mark. Uh, So as you read through uh, the New Testament and you see John Mark, it's the same individual, same man. So let's uh, learn a little bit about uh, this man by the name of Mark who wrote this book of the Bible, who God used to write this book of the Bible. First of all, Mark was the son of Mary. Mark was the son of Mary. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was the son of Mary. Yes, but there were many Marys in the Bible. Uh, Like there are a few Marys at Cornerstone Baptist Church as well. And uh, we have, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and uh, she's probably the most famous Mary of them all. But then we have Mary Magdalene. Um, We also have, who, by the way, happened to be the very first person that Jesus uh, appeared to after his resurrection. And then we have Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who we looked at last week when we went through John chapter 11. This Mary was neither of those or none of those. She was a different Mary. Uh, She was the well-to-do sister of Barnabas, who owned a large home where the disciples met. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to have you look in a few verses here in in the book of Acts as we go through the rest of this message today. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 12. Now this was the record of when Peter was imprisoned and the whole church was gathered together to pray for Peter's release from prison. God miraculously releases Peter. He comes and knocks on the door and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's not him. We're praying. Don't bother us. We're praying for Peter to be released. And it was Peter who was the one knocking at the door going, hey, let me in. Well, verse number 12 of Acts 12, says this. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate. Damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened up the gate for gladness. She was so excited. Oh, it's Peter. He's been released. And she was so excited, she forgot to open the gate. And... Uh, she ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate, and they, they said under her, verse 15, Thou art mad. You're, you're crazy. Like, no, he's in prison. We're praying for him to be released, but he's in prison. And she's like, God answered the prayer. 
He's there at the gate. That's what the sound is. Anyway, where they were was at the home of Mary, who happened to be Mark's mama. And so Mark grew up in a home where they had, they had some means, they had some material uh, goods, and, and uh, one of the things they had there was a large home where uh, the disciples were gathered together and really acted kind of as their first church building that met in uh, Mary's home. So Mark grew up in, in, a, in a home. We don't know anything about his dad other than uh, perhaps it was uh, he, he had been deceased at this point because the home was in her mom's na- or his mom's name. Um, but regardless of the, the situation, Mark was the son of Mary and, and uh, in a home that she was faithful and uh, willing to be generous and open up her home uh, to the disciples to meet there, to worship the Lord, to pray together, and for Peter to come knocking and them to not believe that that was actually Peter. So Mark was the son of Mary. But then secondly... Let's notice here that he was also the nephew of Barnabas. Um, As I mentioned, Mary was the sister of Barnabas, so that makes Mark the nephew of Barnabas. And Barnabas was uh, Mark's uncle. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, you don't need to turn there. Verse number 14, here Paul is writing and he says, uh, Aristocharis, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. If you remember Barnabas, he was a kind, generous, and a gracious man who loved the Lord and people. And this was the main influences in John Mark's life. And uh, he was there for, Paul, there for Mark and uh, encouraged him along the journey. But not only was he the nephew of Barnabas, he was also a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. He was a co-laborer with Paul. Uh, Acts chapter 12, if you go all the way down to verse 25, it says this, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas and Saul had this young man by the name of Mark who acted as their personal assistant who was kind of, in, in many ways, an errand boy, who, hey, you know, we need you to go to the town and get some food for us because we're going to be there in a little bit and, and make things ready. And he was kind of an advanced man, maybe. And uh, John Mark was a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. If you go down to uh, chapter 13 and verse number 2, it says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salmis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So this is John Mark here. He was a co-laborer with Paul in Philemon, uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Philemon, verse 24, here he's listing fellow laborers, Paul is, and he says, Marcus, Aristocarius, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So here Mark had the privilege of accompanying the Apostle Paul on his very first missionary journey. What an adventure. Well, we'll come back to that in a couple minutes, but for now, 
I know that Mark was basically the personal assistant to the Apostle Paul for a season. I would have privileged to be able to have that type of, to rub shoulders with the great Apostle Paul. That was John Mark for a bit. So he was a co-laborer with Paul, but fourthly, he had a close relationship with Peter. There was, I, I don't know exactly how it happened, but he and Peter, John Mark did, uh, get together with Peter and, and had a close relationship with him. So much so that as Peter writes his a letter in 1 Peter 5 and verse 13, he says, The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus. And listen to the title he gives Mark. My son. Now it wasn't that Peter was his dad. But there was just this mentoring father-son relationship that, spiritually speaking, that Peter had with Mark. I, I, I'm sure that it probably goes back to Acts chapter 12. At least there was, that was a big moment in, in John Mark's young life as Peter gets released from prison, comes knocking on his mom's door, and then the whole church going, yeah, 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 you're crazy, Rhoda. Would you just go back to praying? Because we need to pray for Peter. He's in prison. And uh, finally they let him in and realize it, and it's just, it's amazing. And the Bible says when they, they were astonished. And I, and I can't help but think that John Mark was there and uh, was just like, man, he's kind of like a celebrity, you know. Peter got released from prison, and God answered this tremendous prayer, and he probably just really looked up to Peter at that point. I don't know that he knew Peter so much beforehand. Uh, maybe he did. I don't know. But, uh, but this really kind of encouraged him to maybe look up to him and try to learn from him. Um, many believe that Peter was the one that actually led John Mark to the Lord, which is why he referred to him as my son could be. Many firmly do believe that since Mark wasn't an actual eyewitness of the life of Christ, that the material he used to write the book of Mark came from Peter's testimony. And uh, Mark and Peter spent a lot of time together, and Peter shared with uh, Mark what took place in the life of Christ from his angle. And that's what Mark used to write the book of Mark. Peter's sermon to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Um, I don't know if Mark was there when this happened, but um, certainly this is a good summary of the gospel of Mark. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That really sums up the gospel of Mark. As well, So he had a close relationship with Peter. But fifthly, and this is going to kind of start hitting home a little bit more. This is all about some guy we've never met. This is going to start hitting a little bit home. And uh, perhaps you should uh, put on your steel-toed boots here because I'm about to step on your toes. I'm about to step on my toes. The Lord was stepping on mine as uh, I went through these last couple thoughts here. Because for a time here, Mark... Fifthly, was fickle in his faith. Your Bible is open to Acts chapter 12 or 13 in that range there. Uh, let's pick it up in verse number 5. 
At the end of it, they had John also, they had also John to their minister. Verse number six, when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So far, so good. Everything's going just hunky-dory on their first missionary journey. Verse 8, But Elias the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Wait a minute. You mean there's opposition to the ministry? There's opposition to walking with the Lord and serving God? Verse 9, Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So a pretty, pretty remarkable thing took place there, and, and there was opposition, and Paul had to stand up and be bold and courageous. Verse number uh, 13, though. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and here it is, John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, I can't help but thinking, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, verse number 5, they had also John to their minister as they sail on and start out. I mean, there's, you know, probably a sending off service that they had there at the church at uh, Antioch there and, and uh, probably had a great big potluck, a Baptist potluck, you know, with extra desserts. And it was just exciting, emotional, you know, hey, let's pray over these, uh, these guys and let's send them out with, with uh, God's blessing and and uh, it was just like, man, I, I can't wait to get started, John's thinking, or John Mark is thinking. And uh, they, they sailed to the first place, and so far so good. But then all of a sudden, in verse number 8, here's some opposition to the gospel. And Mark's going, whoa, 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 they, where's all the desserts? You know, where's all the excitement and the fanfare that we had back in Antioch? Whoa, whoa, whoa what's, what's happening now? Uh, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. I, I didn't know that my life was potentially going to be in danger here. I, I, this isn't exactly uh, what I uh, wanted in my life. And so I'm going back home to mommy. And so in verse 13, he returns to Jerusalem where mommy was waiting. Uh So Paul and Barnabas continue on their journey without their minister, without one who to help them with the different chores and the different things that they needed. Uh, they, they didn't have him there. He wasn't there. So they finish their journey and they get back. And they settled in Antioch for a little while. And if you would, turn over to chapter 15. They, uh, they settle in Antioch for a while, and uh, let's pick it up in uh, chapter 15, verse 36, verse 35, I'm sorry. 
So they get back from their missionary journey. Paul also, verse 35, and Barnabas continuing in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, you know what? It's time for us to get back on the journey. Let's go on our second missionary journey. He said, let us go again, visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So it's time to get back on the road. Like, let's... We could, we could easily just stay here, Barnabas, but it's time. I, I think the Lord wants us to go and, and, and to continue our missionary work again. And so it's time to go. Barnabas, verse 37, determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. He said, uh, hey, Mark's ready to come back with us. Here's what Paul said in verse 38. Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. He said, that's a, that's a hard no, Barnabas. Um, he, uh, he was very fickle before, and when things got a little hot in the kitchen, he bounced. Things are going to get hot again, and I don't want him to bail on us. No, 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 I'm not going to go through that again. I've been there, done that, I got the t-shirt, and I don't want to get another t-shirt. Um, John Mark is not coming with us. Verse 39, here's how adamant it was. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark, sailed into Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God. So because of his fickleness at the very beginning in that first missionary journey, Paul said, no more John Mark. He, I'm done. I'm over him. He, he, was, he was nice to have at the very beginning, but it's not necessary to have him if he's going to bail when it gets difficult again. So Barnabas, I, I know he's your nephew and all, but, but this work is way too important for me to just let him straggle along and then, and then, and then bail when, when at the first sign of opposition and affliction and trial and tribulation. The wisest man who ever lived named Solomon said this in Proverbs 25 and verse 19. He said, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. How many of you have ever sprained your ankle? Would you raise your hand? Oh, lots of hands up. How many of you have ever broken a tooth? Raise your hand. Yes, lots of other hands. Some of you have gotten to do both. You're extremely blessed in this life. I've never sprained my ankle, but I sure have broken my, my, my teeth. In fact, both of my two front teeth right here are not real. This one is an implant. Because, see, when I was a kid, I was riding my skateboard, not as a cool skater dude on my feet. No, I was a lame kid on my knee, and I was kind of going on like this, and, and I was paddling along with my other foot like this, and I had a... Uh, I had a wagon tied to the back of my uh, skateboard, and I thought it was cool to go around the neighborhood with a wagon. Uh, the opposite of cool, I know. Um, but I was doing that, and we had, we had uh, mailboxes, not like the ones we have here that are made like houses. Uh, they, they were just on a little aluminum pole, a little steel pole or whatever it was, uh, on the sidewalk, and I was going really fast, and well, uh, that back of the... the the wagon got caught on one of the 
one of the mailbox poles, and so everything stopped except for me. Eric kept going, and the first thing to hit the ground was this tooth right here. Snapped it. I thought I was going to die. I didn't. Okay, spoiler alert for the rest of the story. I didn't die, um, in case you're wondering. But that broken tooth has been a pain, not only physically, but financially, as time has gone throughout my life. The Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble, it's like a broken tooth. Like, I'm not going to, no, no thanks. And so Paul understood that, and he's like, yeah, I don't really want John Mark who's going to be, I, I need someone I can depend upon. I, know, I need someone who's going to be faithful. I, know, I need someone who's not going to look back. Jesus said in Luke 9 and verse 62, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And uh, the Apostle Paul thought, you know what, I can't have somebody looking back to Jerusalem, looking back to mommy, looking back to the comfort of life. I need someone who's committed here. So for a very short time, Mark was pretty fickle in his faith. But then lastly, let's notice this here. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there, does it? Because fifth or sixthly here, he grew in maturity and faithfulness as time went on. So Paul took off on his first missionary journey with Mark in about 48 AD. And by the time we get to his first imprisonment in Rome, he is now commending Mark. Instead of going, oh, I don't want anything to do with Mark... Mark wasn't going to just sit by idly and say, well, the Apostle Paul rejected me, so I'm going to sit there and uh, be depressed for the rest of my life. No, he said, I'm going to continue serving the Lord. I'm going to continue doing what's right. And uh, a few years later, as Paul is in Rome, he commends and uh, praises this young man by the name of Mark. And Philemon, verse one or verse 24, says, Marcus... And he calls him my fellow laborer, as we mentioned a moment ago. Colossians 4 and verse 14. Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. Uh, if he come unto you, receive him. He, he, mentions, the, he mentions Mark in a, in a good light instead of saying, yeah, he's just a loser and a quitter. Now that he didn't let, let that uh, get him down. And then during Paul's final imprisonment in Rome... Mark had grown to the point where he was now extremely valuable once again to the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 4.11, here Paul's writing to Timothy as he's close to death, and he says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me. Bring him with thee, for he is, anybody know the next word there? Profitable. Profitable to me for the ministry. So, here was a man who, a few years ago, Paul said, no, we're, we're, it's not good for him to come with us on this missionary work. I, I cannot trust him. He's a quitter. And now, all of a sudden, later on, Paul says, bring him with thee, for he is profitably for the ministry. Could it have been that between the time in Acts 15 and 2 Timothy 4.11, Someone said, hey, Paul, you've got to read this. Somebody wrote something, and I think you're going to like it. And they hand him the gospel according to a man by the name of Mark. Paul reads it through and says, wow, this is good stuff. 
who is it written by? And they're like, do you really want me to tell you? It's Mark. He's like, man, he stayed with it. He didn't let my discouragement cause him to uh, quit the ministry altogether. And, uh, and he says, okay, he's now profitable me for the ministry. How faithful was this man by the name of Mark? Well, tradition says, and again, this isn't scripture, but tradition says that he did stay faithful, Mark did, unto death. He was martyred for his faith by being dragged through the streets with a rope around his neck. So he was willing to be faithful. Uh, He had learned to be faithful in times of difficulty, in times of trial and tribulation. So here's the lesson for us today. I know I've gone through a lot of facts and figures with you today. But here's the lesson. Failure isn't final. So it doesn't matter how faithful you have been up until this moment. The question is, how faithful will you be from now on? So I don't know. Maybe there's someone here this morning who, like Mark, has departed from something in the Christian life. To go back to the old life. To go back to a life of ease and comfort. Maybe you've departed from your daily time in God's word. Maybe you've uh, had a time where every day you were spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer. You were faithful in that, but for one reason or another, you've departed from that. And maybe you've departed from your giving. I mean, pastor, after all, times are tough, and I, I mean, I just have enough to barely squeak by, and I, I, it, God understands why I've departed from giving. And maybe it's witnessing and taking a stand for Jesus Christ at work or at school. And you've been pressured into silence. And at one point, you were strong in your faith. And you were willing to speak up and speak out for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've departed from that. Maybe you've departed from your faithfulness to church. I realize you're here this morning. And I know, I, in a sense, I'm speaking and preaching to the choir. Speaking of, we are looking and starting a choir soon. That's a different, that's a different subject. But look, you're here this morning, and I'm glad you are. But what about tonight? What about tonight? What about Wednesday night? It's not, uh, it's not like we're not going to open the Bible tonight. We are. Uh, these, servant, these services are for your spiritual growth and your spiritual health. They're not just for my spiritual health, though they are. I mean, it's good for me to study and do that. But look, I'm not doing it just for my health. I'm doing it for your health, too. So are you going to be here tonight? Are you going to be here Wednesday night? What about, well, the weather is just a little bit ugly outside. Welcome to Oklahoma. I promise you we're not going to have services if it's dangerous to be out and about. And you know that. But I would encourage you to be faithful to church. Maybe you've departed from your decision to refrain from certain sinful habits in your life. Maybe God's been working in your life in the past about certain, situa- certain sinful things that, that you know you need to let go. And you have for a time, but boy, the temptation's been strong lately. And well... I've been tired, and I kind of deserve it. 
Look, friend, we all struggle to stay faithful at times. We're all prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, the songwriter said, prone to leave the God I love. But, but we can choose to go back to Jerusalem and stay in Jerusalem with Mama, or we can get back up and back into the fight. My encouragement to all of us today, and my, me included, is to be faithful to the one who was and is faithful to you. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Remember that? Solomon pointed out in Proverbs 20 and verse number 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Most men are going to talk about how wonderful they are and how great they are and good they are in the Christian life. And, yeah, pastor, I'm just the best Christian you'll ever meet in your life. Now, they might not say those words, but that is what they're insinuating and communicating. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. And then Solomon asked this, though, but a faithful man, who can find? Who can find? As the Lord looks at the people here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, may he find a church full of people who are and will continue to be faithful no matter what afflictions come into our life, no matter what opposition comes. Why? Well, not because Mark was faithful, though I'm thankful that he was. And not because Paul was faithful, and I'm thankful that he was, but because the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. So maybe this morning, you've been like Mark, and when times got difficult, you bailed on a decision in your Christian life. Failure's not final, because Mark came back, and so can you. I would encourage you to make a comeback decision today. Because I would think, if all of us are honest, there are some areas in our lives that we have departed from. It's time to get back in the race and to once again be profitable for the work of the Lord.